the veggie podcast that is second to none. VegCast. I'm Vance coming at you with VegCast 71. VegCast. A full menu from first to last. VegCast. Yes, it is another full menu of vegetarian podcastry coming at you now. And this time out, we are going to go urban. We're going to talk to the urban vegan Denise Balkovich about her new cookbook and her blog, The Urban Vegan, and to just give it that perfect spin of urbanity. We're going to take a spin around the block in Center City, Philadelphia, or I guess you could call it on the outskirts of Center City around the South Street area. We'll explain more about that as we are walking with her, but also, of course, I should mention that we will have a science fact about fish, about uh, fish and uh, some of the uh, potential dangers associated therewith. Uh, We will also have some music for you, as always, with a vegetarian artist here in Philadelphia by the name of E.J. Simpson and his band, You Purple Virgin. We're going to hear a track from his just-released CD after attending that release party in beautiful Roxborough, PA. So all that is going to be coming up on VegCast 71. And of course, as always, I invite you to sit back, relax, and crank up your MP3 player as we deliver you yet another edition of And, of course, we will get right to that urban vegan interview. But let me remind you that this VegCast is sponsored by Luna and Larry's Coconut Bliss. Uh, And Luna and Larry remind you that there are many ways to achieve bliss. We use coconuts. And now let's go down to South Street, Philadelphia on a recent uh, late summer, early fall evening uh, for our interview with Denise Balkovich. All right, we are here on South Street, in the middle of the city, with the urban vegan Denise Balkovich. Welcome to VegCast. Thank you so much. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for being here. We thought we would kind of do this out in the city because being an urban vegan is uh, so much a part of your your whole persona. You have a blog, The Urban Vegan, and now uh, you have an urban vegan cookbook, but can you just, before we get into the cookbook per se, can you just talk about, you know, why you kind of adopted that that persona, the urban vegan? Well, um, for two reasons. One, because I live in in the city, Philadelphia, and it's a, you know, an urban neighborhood, and I've always been drawn to cities, and I grew up in the coal regions in a very small little boondocking town, but um, I've always loved cities and the energy. And um, so that's one reason. And two is because I love to travel, and I really feel inspired by cities. I like the diversity. I like the energy. I like the culture. So, And I happen to be vegan, so it, it seemed to make sense to call myself the urban vegan. Okay. But it's, it is more than that, because when we were talking at the last Vegan Drinks, you mentioned that, and you mentioned that people have kind of this idea of veganism as this very kind of uh, touchy feeler granola uh, you know, all organic kind of thing, and that doesn't always mesh with people's notions of life in the city. So you're kind of, you're juxtaposing those two things and kind of showing how that can work. Is that 
Yeah, that's definitely accurate. I mean, I think that's, uh, you know, the crunchy granola vegan is one kind of vegan, just like the, um, you know, maybe an urban vegan is a different kind of vegan, and there are 50,000 varieties in between. I just wanted to show the opposite end of the spectrum. I think they're all fine, but I think the whole stereotype is that, um, you know, we are all barefoot, um, crunchy, uh, raw food people. Right. Not that there's anything wrong with raw food. I really should eat more of it myself, but... Um, I just want to bust away at that stereotype a little bit. Okay. Um, I'm going to pause here for a moment as we're walking by one of the many Jamaican stores here, here on South Street. And, you know, that, that brings me to we're doing this uh, right before Vegan Drinks Philly for this month. And uh, looking through the cookbook, I noticed you have vegan drinks. There are, most vegan cookbooks don't don't include vegan drinks although frankly it's hard to make you know unless you're putting milk in it it's hard to make your alcoholic beverage not vegan but you you went and like gave people pointers on how to make some fantastic drinks what's that all about well um yeah another point is busting the stereotype and another point is um I do enjoy to uh, have some wine with my dinner or to have a cocktail out with friends. Um, I believe in moderation in all things, including moderation. But um, most people I know, most vegans I know, do a, a, a enjoy uh, an occasional tipple. And um, I would like to say, though, that it is pretty easy to make your drinks non-vegan because um, a lot of wines and beers are clarified with animal products. Sure. So I would just suggest that you look on a website called barnivore.com if you're not sure if your drink is vegan. But there are plenty of great um, drinks out there in Horizons where we're having vegan drinks tonight. has a complete vegan bar, so you don't have to worry about it, which is awesome. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, I, I just want to show that um, it's not a restrictive lifestyle. It's a very inclusive lifestyle. I really am not wanting for anything, really. I mean, it's including drinks. Right. Okay. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, I I really slipped up there saying, uh, you know, your drinks are probably vegan. I forgotten because I'm so used to coming to Horizon sure. and having drinks in my meal there where you you don't have to think about it. But, uh, but no, that's very true. And I noticed you also, on uh, a lot of the dishes in your cookbook, mm -hmm. you do have, uh, you know, recommended wine pairing. So it's, uh, you, you do seem to have more than the average cookbook, perhaps a, an emphasis on presentation and on, on kind of the context in which you're making something. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? I think that's fair. I mean, I think it's a whole experience. Um, I really enjoy the whole, you know, the holistic portion of the meal. I, I mean, from everything should go together. Everything should contribute to the meal to heighten your senses. So that may be some music. You want to pick the right music. You want to have the ambient lighting, not sit under fluorescent lights at the dinner table, pour yourself a nice glass of wine, hopefully something that pairs well with what you've made, or beer, whatever floats your boat, um, or sparkling water if you don't drink, but just, just something, because you deserve it, and um, I really am into presentation, and really just heightening your palate, and heightening all of your, your senses, that's, it's part of the whole experience of enjoying life. But now I have to say, you mentioned music. You have a bunch of uh, resources. You have a glossary. Do you have any music pairings in your cookbook for what people should be listening to for, for a certain dish? That's a great idea for the next cookbook, okay. actually. However, I do have a couple of um, inter I have a couple of suggestions because one of my favorite things to do while I'm cooking is to listen to music. So if I'm making um, you know, a Puerto Rican dish, I might be listening to salsa and doing a little little dance while I'm cooking, or you know, if I'm 
making Middle Eastern food, I might listen to Farouz or, or some other music. So, you know, I think it kind of sets the mood and it helps the consciousness of the cook, so to speak. Okay. Salsa with salsa. That's easy <laughs> to remember. But, uh, well, let's, let's talk about just your, I mean, it's, it's great that uh, you have this cookbook. It's just coming out now. You have the blog and obviously getting people access to good, uh, tasty vegan food. That's one kind of mission that the cookbook certainly serves. Is there, um, what are the other aspects of what you do with Urban Vegan? Um, I mean, well. If you could give somebody a snapshot of what they can expect to find either there uh, in the cookbook or do you go out and make personal appearances or what's, what's the scheme there? Well, now that the cookbook is, um, is being dropped, I am definitely going to be making more appearances. I'm going to be doing a cookbook fair this weekend in New Jersey, but I think by the time the podcast airs, it will be over. So right. I will be doing more book signings and so forth. And um, I know that I'm working with a group in New York to teach a vegan cooking class, and they have a sort of, I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact name of okay. the um, organization, but they do have kind of a vegan iron chef competition, so I'm going to Great. be a judge for that. So I'm going to be doing more of that, but I also, you know, through my blog, I just, sometimes it's boring, sometimes it's exciting, but it really tries to show an honest slice of life again, busting stereotypes. I'm not a, you know, a radical, militant, um, I don't know, terrorist, and I actually asked someone once what they thought a vegan was in one word, and somebody said terrorist, which made me <laughs> laugh because this was a hippie chick who said this, so... That was a real awakening to me, but you can't, you, know, you can laugh at it, but you have to listen to it at well, the same yeah. time. It's like, whoa, <laughs> it's hard to believe. So, um, you know, I just show my life, my meals out, my, um, my travels, because traveling vegan is a big thing for a lot of people. And I've really had pretty good luck with it, traveling all over the world, being vegan, um, just volunteering at different animal rights organizations and different protests and political things. It's just just my life it's kind of like a little diary for me too because it's fun on a very personal level okay well as somebody that's uh, you enjoy cities you've uh, visited a lot of different cities how would you say that philadelphia compares as a uh, just in terms of resources or vibe or anything like that as a vegan city I think Philly is a great vegan city. I feel very fortunate to live here because I hear horror stories from other people. Um, we have so many great restaurants. I mean, many of them are vegetarian and vegan, but even the non-veg restaurants, often if you just tell them what you want or what you you know what you don't eat, really, they are so thrilled to make something for you. I've really never had a problem. I mean, in fact, some of the restaurants I frequent are, are non-vegetarian restaurants that I just get certain vegan dishes in. And, um, you know, we have a lot of great markets here and ethnic markets, and um, it's, it's just a great place to be a vegan. I feel like this is the Portland of the East, although New York City is fantastic, too. You can't compete with that. I forget. We live so close. Right. Although there was, there, I just saw, uh, what was it? It was on Super Vegan. They declared, wasn't it on Super? I think it was on Super Vegan. They declared uh, Horizons the best vegan restaurant on the East Coast and admitted that New York has some great ones, but... Uh, that, but they, uh, you know, they had been to Horizons and had to rave. But I have to get the plug for Horizons in there because we're, we're about to go to Horizons. But cool. what in New York, I haven't been, I've been to like two vegan restaurants in New York City. Could you, if we were up there, where would you recommend people go? Well, um, I, I, first though, before I answer that, I do have to agree with you. And I'm not being paid by Horizons. I just, I've been to vegan restaurants all over the world. And I think um, Rich's food is just 
through the roof good and I know many of my omnivore friends will agree they just like the food mm -hmm. but um, in terms of New York restaurants you know I like Gobo um, which is I think it's near the village it's really good food and um, it's all vegan it's it's really delicious and um, I also love red bamboo which is kind of good and greasy vegan mm -hmm. food it's right in the NYU campus um, but there are so many great places. Um, Snice is good. I'm probably mispronouncing it. It's S apostrophe N I C E. It's in Brooklyn. They have some great vegan and vegetarian sandwiches. And um, oh gosh, there are so many places okay. that I like. Well, we don't want to hear too many. Yeah, yeah, we'll okay. get envious again. <laughs> okay. We'll <laughs> have that inferiority complex. No. Even though we got to rise it. Just in terms of sheer numbers, they're going to outclass us. <laughs> but all right, well, uh, we've just about reached the end of our little uh, peregrination here around the South Street area, but uh, just let me ask you in terms of the urban vegan as a as a concept, not necessarily for you, but uh, is there, do you see anything on the horizon, on the horizon, yeah, I can't get it out of my head, um, do you see anything in terms of trends, in terms of uh, what's happening currently uh, in cities that uh, the, you'd want to comment on or that you would like to see more of or that kind of thing that you might be chronicling on the blog? Well, one thing that I see more of, and, and, and I see it here in Philadelphia, is the greening of cities, and, and that's really nice. I mean, um, green roofs, just being more environmentally conscious, um, eating locally produced food. That's It's not a new trend, but it's a trend that it, I think it's been slow to develop, but I'm really happy that more cities are doing this, so that's something I'm very happy about. Okay, and you would think if people are going green, they'll be uh, eventually getting more receptive to uh, a vegan message since, you, I mean, when you get down to it, mm -hmm. it's kind of hard to be green without being vegan, but a lot of people have not quite realized that, but, uh, but perhaps you're out there also getting that message across. Absolutely. See, that's one of my pet peeves is that, um, you know, a lot of folks in higher places really do preach uh, going green and environmentalism, which is all good. It's good stuff. And any step you can take toward that is fantastic. But, you know, one of the biggest, if not the biggest step you can take in toward helping the environment is definitely going vegan or at least vegetarian. I mean, every little bit helps and every step toward those goals is a good step so um yeah i'm with you there <laughs> all right great well uh we're back now to horizons going to go into vegan drinks and we will uh turn off the mp3 recorder but uh, denise balkovich good luck with the cookbook and thanks very much for joining us on vegcast thanks so much for having me great
its love away Nor does it
That is E.J. Simpson and his band You Purple Virgin with Learning to Say Goodbye. And uh, the sharp-eared among you may recognize the name E.J. That is, in fact, the same E.J. from Maggie Pierce and E.J., uh, he's now out there uh, fronting You Purple Virgin. They just had, as I said, a big uh, CD release party in Roxboro for the CD Heart Like a Tiny Jewel. And you can find out more about EJ and You Purple Virgin at youpurplevirgin.com. But now let's leave the hills of Roxboro and head on down to the river for a science. Our science fact for VegCast 71 is a threefer, three different studies that uh, you may or may not have heard about, but I certainly haven't seen anybody uh, putting all of these together. Two of these were mentioned in a blog post that I noticed and now do not have handy, but I will find that and link that in the show notes. But uh, let's get right to these studies. The first one, the headline is Mercury Contaminates All Fish Tested in River Study, U.S. says. And the lead is Mercury Contaminated Every Fish Studied in 291 U.S. Streams and Rivers Tested by Scientists and One in Four had levels unsafe for people who eat average amounts of fish, a government report said. Today, the study was by the U.S. Geological Survey. Uh, And they mention here bacteria in wetlands easily convert mercury to its toxic form, methylmercury. Methylmercury is a neurotoxin damaging the nerve systems of people and animals as it accumulates in the vital organs. It can cause severe birth defects, learning disabilities, memory loss, and mental impairment, said Barbara Scudder, a hydrologist and the study's lead scientist. Pregnant women are particularly vulnerable to passing mercury poisoning along to their unborn children. Well, I wonder if that has had any effect. What's this? Our second study, mercury found in blood of one-third of American women. The level of inorganic mercury in the blood of American women has been increasing since 1999, and it is now found in the blood of one in three women, according to a new analysis of government data for more than 6,000 American women. Dan Lax, a neuroscience researcher at the David Geffen School of Medicine at the University of California, Los Angeles, found that older women had more inorganic mercury in their blood than younger women, indicating that mercury accumulates in the blood over time. My findings, he says, also suggest a rise in risks for disease associated with mercury over time. His study cites numerous other research that has found chronic mercury exposure associated with elevated risks for autism, mental impairment, and neurodegenerative disorders such as Alzheimer's disease. Uh, And the reason uh, we're pointing this out, of course, on VegCast is, uh, and perhaps the reason that we have seen an increase in uh, the amount of mercury in women's blood is that a lot of people over the past decade or so have been taking a strong, hard look at beef and some of them as well at pork and other meats from large animals and said, well, I'll just switch to fish. Uh, If you remember the old blog Meat Facts, I had a running 
uh, headline there, I'll just switch to fish, where we chronicled uh, study after study finding problems with consumption of fish. And yet uh, people are told, oh, sure, if, if uh, you want to cut out everything else, all other forms of animal protein, that's probably advisable. But be sure to eat fish uh, because that is actually good for you. Well, there are uh, many problems because fish is uh, an animal, uh, so it's not just an ethical problem. It is that problem that uh, toxic compounds will bioaccumulate in it, and there's not much that you can do about that, but uh, people have been told they should eat fish because it has omega-3 fatty acids, which are good for your brain, uh, but there's also been a lot of talk about fish being good for the heart. However, our third study, uh, the headline is Eating Fish Fails to Prevent Heart Failure Dutch Study Finds. Let's read that. Eating fish shown in previous studies to promote heart health failed to stave off cardiac failure in a study by Dutch researchers. The analysis, which started in 1990 and involved 5,299 men and women over the age of 55 living in a Rotterdam suburb, found no difference in the risk of developing heart failure between those who ate fish and those who didn't. The study will be published today. That's actually the day we're recording this on the last day of September in the European Journal of Heart Failure. Uh, study investigator Marianne Galayenis, which I'm probably uh, mangling that name. I'm not an expert in pronunciation of Dutch names. Uh, from the Wageningen University in the Netherlands said in the statement, there is no strong evidence that eating fish will protect against heart failure. Down further in the story, uh, they mentioned that a daily fish consumption of more than 20 grams a day, high for the group studied, led to no added protection against heart failure. Uh, and the lead researcher then followed that up by saying maybe higher intakes are needed for any protection against heart failure. So apparently to get any uh, benefit, at least in terms of heart failure, from fish, you're going to have to eat even more and take in more uh, toxic mercury, which is uh, kind of a silly bargain in terms of your health when there are plenty of plant foods uh, which contain omega-3 fatty acids and other compounds that you will find in fish since fish do not miraculously synthesize any chemicals or nutrients by themselves but rather take them from plants. They bioaccumulate the nutrients the same way they bioaccumulate the toxins. So really it seems to me that the picture that we get from these three different studies is that uh, there's little to no advantage to eating fish for your health. You may be damaging your health in the final analysis. While there are plenty of nutrients available in plants, and that is not just my opinion, but is a science fact. One other link that will be in our show notes is to a petition on Twitter, a twitition to uh, ask the Humane Society of the United States to launch a Go Vegan campaign. And you may think this is a no-brainer that uh, the Humane Society would want people to go vegan. Uh, so far, they have not seen fit to use any of the large amount of financial resources they have available to uh, commit to such a campaign, and uh, we're trying to get them to do that. Gary Francione, who you may recall from VegCast 19, uh, started this up, and of course uh, he has his own issues with the Humane Society, 
uh, as do uh, different people. I'm not going to wade too deeply into that uh, because it is a complex issue. But one thing that's not complex is that uh, if you're trying to fight animal abuse and animal suffering and animal exploitation and animal use, uh, telling people to go vegan and how to go vegan is uh, something that there is simply no downside to. So if you're a VegCast listener, uh, please check that out and urge the Humane Society to urge Americans and others to go vegan. Okay, thanks to Luna and Larry's Coconut Bliss. No soy, no dairy, no comparison. It's the evolution of ice cream. And thanks, of course, to Denise Balkavich, whose book, The Urban Vegan Cookbook, is coming out even as we speak. Run down and pick that up at your local booksellers. Also, of course, thanks to E.J. Simpson and You Purple Virgin for giving us a track to play off of their new CD. And thanks to you, the VegCast listener, for downloading. And remember, you can subscribe at iTunes. And until next time, get out there and live like you mean it. VegCast.